Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Drive Home Call-In Show here on the Canadian Football Countdown. Ryan and Mike back with you once again to recap previous week in the CFL. I'm on the Drive Home. Mike's at Mission Control. We're live in our Discord community. Uh, so if you're tuning in live there, feel free to send in your comments and questions in the live chat or hit the little hands up button, come up on stage, ask us a question, leave us a comment that way. Mike's going to be monitoring all of that as we go along here. Uh, and if you want to join us live uh, next week and you're not already a member of the Discord community, check out the link in the episode description to join for free. We've got a lot of great perks going on there for members of the community. Uh, Mike, how are you doing today? Pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, my hockey schedule is coming into focus. Uh... So I'm pretty happy about that after some heavy lifting in the last two days. Oh, well, that's wonderful to hear. That's uh, awesome news. Good to hear things have been productive on that note. And uh, we're going to have a productive little day here because we got a lot of things to talk about. Uh, before we get into talking about this last week in the CFL, I do want to tease the Wednesday night preview show for this week. Tomorrow night, Wednesday night, 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, it, like we do every single week. We'll preview the next week in the CFL. Special week this week because we've got Labor Day coming up. That's always one of the most exciting weeks. Will we have a guest? Will we not? Stay tuned and find out. And uh, this may be, have been the single wildest week in the history of our private fantasy draft league. Uh, we've got two trades confirmed so far. One with a hidden condition. Uh, that will be unveiled one that uh, has some regrets to go along with it. We've got an entire team fire sale coming. Uh, yeah, it's been chaotic. There's bound to be drama. If you listen to the show for the entertainment factor, hopefully you find us entertaining at least. Uh, I, th I think you're going to enjoy this week's show. So a little plug for that one and uh, stay tuned to find out what we're all talking about there. But let's talk about the last week in the CFL here, Mike. Lots of interesting storylines to talk about some upsets we didn't necessarily expect to happen some big blowouts uh and of course some exciting games uh what's your favorite topic from this past week that you would like to begin with hi ryan my phone's obviously falling on mute um anyway no i what i'd like to talk about the street is over or in the words of uh a pretty excited Marley Scott, Luthen Street, see yourself out. And that is exactly what the Edmonton Outs did this week, and in a long home losing streak with a victory over the Ottawa Red Blacks. And suddenly, the Outs might not be in fifth place in the West much longer, Ryan. Yes, that is right. Uh, streak buster or skid buster. Remember, Mike, it's a, like Trey said in the chat, it's a skid, not a streak, right? Um, apparently, that's an argument we're having these days uh, around the grammar of it. Uh, you know, it, they busted it. It's over. The, I feel sore, happy for people. Of course, I'm happy for all of the Elks fans. Sad for those who got their guaranteed tickets that now need to pay for them. Um, it also busted my streak of eight straight games, I believe it was, uh, without getting a single pick right on the show. So I was extra happy about this one. Uh, but no, 
all a serious note, I'm so excited for the Elks fans to finally have this. Uh, you saw after the game, it looked kind of like a bunch of them got to rush the field and celebrate there. And it's something they haven't been able to do since, what, 2019, over a thousand days uh, was the last one. And now they've won two straight and they've got a head-to-head with Calgary, who's right ahead of them in the standings, where they, you know, they pick up a win this weekend on Labor Day over the Stamps. They're ahead of Calgary in the standings. And then that's just one more spot they got to get towards to get to the playoffs. So I don't know, Mike, is it that Trey Ford has been playing that good that's turned things around or, or what do you think has been this big shift for Edmonton? I fully said maybe on the podcast, maybe privately to people that Edmonton's or one of Edmonton's problems was the, the play at quarterback. And while it seemingly took forever to play the quarterback, but, I thought was the best on the roster. I just can't help but feel the Jalen Hurts comparisons with Trey Ford. Um, this guy that can run, this guy that can, can throw the ball. Um, granted, we his, the quarterback that he was playing this week in Dustin Crumb started much along the same way. Um, when he started his career, but um, I feel that what Trey Ford is doing is a lot more sustainable. Um, to be fair, I don't believe that Taylor Canarius was giving this team the best opportunity to win. Um, Trey Ford gave, gave defenses and then giving defenses. Um, something a whole lot more to look at. And quite honestly, playing a very sustainable brand of football and all of a sudden some Edmonton receivers are now fantasy options again uh, because of this. And ain't it interesting, Ryan, that all of a sudden the play at quarterback has elevated the play of running back Kevin Brown. I don't believe that that is an accident. And I think it's elevated the play of the defense as well, right? Like the defense themselves had for the Elks. Yeah, they struggled a lot against the run and a bit against the pass this season. But they also had a couple of games where they did a pretty good job, at least early on, shutting teams down but the offense got nothing done. So they were on the field most of the game and got tired by the end of it. Now the defense is starting to, you know, get some stops and some big plays here and there as well. Um, And, you know, I think they're playing a brand of football right now that works like Trey Ford. I don't think he's been anything crazy spectacular. The rushing has been impressive. Sure. This game, he threw over 300 yards. But the crazy thing to me is he's done that. He hasn't thrown, and I'm, I'm going to be talking about this more on our preview show Wednesday night, but he hasn't thrown more than 20 pass attempts in a single game yet in the three he's taken over as the starter. Uh, but yet somehow he threw for over 300 this week against that Red Blacks defense. And that's because Ford's been able to hit a couple of those big key play deep balls uh, and mix that together with some bigger runs to, you know, move the sticks, get Kevin Brown, Shannon Brooks both involved there as well. 
and he's protecting the ball a lot better than I thought he would. That was my big knock on him coming in. So, you know, I w- I'll admit it. I, I was a big believer in Taylor Cornelius coming into this year. I was not a big believer in, in, in Trey Ford. And I'll admit that I was, I was wrong. It seems like he, he's bringing the mojo and it's elevated the whole team here. Do we, are we sort of slow? I don't know if slow is the right word, but are we giving enough credit to Jarius Johnson? Maybe not, right? That was the other big change that was made at the same time. And we're talking about Trey Ford, but his offensive game plan has been better too, right? There's been more involvement for Kevin Brown. Uh, and that run game, which has opened things up for them there also. So, yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right on that note there for uh, for Edmonton in that one. And, and honestly, Ryan, I think their schedule kind of opens up here to us a little bit late. Not on what a lot has to happen. And, you know, there's about 10 or 12 different combinations of things that have to work to get, you know, the outs into legitimate playoff positioning. But, if the Bombers are fortunate to win both against the Riders and the Outs happen to sweep the Staps, all of a sudden that's game on as far as that third spot at the West goes and maybe eliminates whoever happens to get swept, if anybody, between Edmonton and Calgary and makes things more difficult. And all of a sudden, maybe it's a three-horse race for one spot. And I think I think there's the crossover is open right open now too right like Ottawa this was another loss for them sure Hamilton you know surprised everybody this week are they they trending mm-hmm. in the right mm-hmm. direction or was that a one off so I think there are options for the Elks here which makes me uh, which you know the next two weeks are crucial for both Edmonton and Calgary so I want to go to the Stamps here next and talk about. Yep. All of the talk last week was uh, around Jake Mayer's recent slump. You know, no touchdown passes in four games, under 200 yards in most of those. Seemed like they just had nothing going for them uh, for the Stamps offense. And all of a sudden, they explode in this game. They still lose to the Argos. They don't get it done. But the offense looked a lot better. Mayer throws four touchdowns. Bagleton hauls in 200 yards and a couple of touchdowns. Uh, in a crazy performance there. My question is, how much of this was a slump buster that puts Mayer back on track and helps the offense move along here now uh, and hopefully, and gives the team momentum versus how much of it was the Argos have a terrible pass defense as it is and also lost their best defenders due to injury in this game? Yeah, I mean, it's... I'd be very careful how I phrase it. I mean, it's the Ardles' pass defense contributing a little bit to the success of Jake Mayer. Um, it's interesting because I think that's the one type of area where the Ardles have struggled all season. But I think you would agree with me, Ryan, that that has been neutralized by uh, by 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 the punt returning ability of J- Javon Leak, um, incredible. You, you know, it, it's interesting, right? Because for every defensive touchdown they seem to give up, they make it up 
in in special teams returned and special teams touchdown. Uh, something out of nothing, mind you. The tip by Cody Grace, which led to that, wasn't. I don't think in the right spot for that to happen, but uh, nonetheless, it just seems like when something is lacking in the Argos game, another element of the three-headed monster that we talked about in football, offense, defense, special teams, winds up picking up the Argos in, in, in just another way that we didn't kind of see coming. Right. Uh, I know you. I, I know you asked about uh, Calgary, but listen, I'm really concerned with the the turnovers that Chad Kelly is, I guess, somewhat creating of his own mating. Um, you know, because to me, that special teams play of the Argos to me is a little bit unsustainable. Um, I think in the playoffs, it's going to get more difficult. Um, you have to be able to shut things down defensively. And historically speaking, Calgary has always played the Ardos relatively strong. Um, you know, in, in most cases, winning games. But, you know, this is the another close one. It was tied in the fourth quarter, you know, until the, till, till the punt return. I need to see more consistency out of Calgary. It is one thing to say, oh, yeah, nice effort against, you know, the Ardos. But the actuality is that the statistics will show an L on the board for Calgary. And they need some more Ws pretty, pretty quickly before they start falling way out of this thing. And my advice to Calgary is if, if you think that you somehow turn the corner, there's no better opportunity to show yourself than against your rivals for the next two games. So I guess that's my way of saying good job, Calgary. Didn't quite get the job done. Now I have a follow-up question in regards to Calgary, if that makes any kind of sense, right? Yeah, for sure. That uh, that makes perfect sense. And you touched on the punt returns. I think I saw a stat this week, and I might be getting it slightly wrong, and unfortunately I don't remember from who. But Calgary's given up, I think, four punt return or kick return touchdowns on the year. The rest of the league has five against combined. So as much as we talk about the offensive struggles this team has had, and we talked about the defense here and there, but relatively strong, Special teams isn't doing them a ton of favor either, at least on the cover units there, right? Uh, so, you know, that's another thing that's been sloppy for Calgary this year and it is costing them field position and costing them games and things like that and and points on the board consistently here. So it seems to be one thing after another, and it, it's crazy that we're at a point on Labor Day now, given where, you know, we were and how much we've talked up that Elks losing streak this season. Earlier today, when the CFL.ca experts put out their picks for this week's games, the majority picked the Elks to beat Calgary on Labor Day here. So, you know, it's desperate times. Uh, I don't know if we've ever seen this dynamic in a battle of Alberta quite like this before, and I'm interested to see. No, no, 
And I think, Ryan, that has to do with momentum coming into the game. But I would also argue that Labor Day momentum is a different animal compared to any other week in the season, even the rematches, to be honest. Like, how many times have the Bombers played and the Bombers and Riders are on opposite sides? And, and I can't remember what year it was, but there was one year where the Riders were like, one and seven, and the Bombers were seven and one. You know, Ken Miller comes in to replace uh, whoever the coach was in Saskatchewan. The Riders end up winning. Uh, the Riders end up winning both games under the under under what is that? Ken Miller's debut and then the follow-up game, and then subsequently, what happened was both te- both team season seemingly taking off in the other direction. So. Yeah. If you think if you think you know what's going to happen this weekend, um, think again because I I think all bets are off. I think all bets are off for the Bombers and the Riders. All bets are off in the Battle of Alberta. All bets are off in this Battle of Ontario that we're going to have, and then this equally intriguing matchup on Saturday between Montreal and BC. I think you know. All, all bets are off, and there's a reason they say, Ryan, the season starts on Labor Day, for lack of better term. Yes, that, of course, is the saying, and I think where I want to go next here, to loop in a couple teams into the same conversation, is I want to go back to a topic we discussed, I don't know if it was last week or the week before, but we had a, a good discussion on who uh, who's in that top-tier teams list in the CFL. And the main discussion was around, is Montreal in that top tier? And Mike, I'm starting to wonder whether both Montreal and BC are still in it, or if it's just a two-team race of Toronto and Winnipeg at the top there, because uh, the... The Alouettes, you know, they they come out flat in this game against the Bombers. Well, they come out great on the first play of it and, you know, two pick sixes early in the game. We'll get into that maybe in a little bit. But, uh, you know, they end up uh, in the second half really struggling. They pile it on, uh, the Bombers do. And, And that's now the Alouettes have looked great against every team except for Winnipeg, B.C., and Toronto and maybe Saskatchewan I can't remember uh, how that game against Saskatchewan went for them Um, but it seems like this is a team that's struggling to get into that top tier because they can't beat those top tier teams they're winning the games they should be winning but they're not able to extend themselves beyond that Uh, I want to go to BC right after this but uh, what do you think about where Montreal's at right now uh, I think there's a quarterback crisis in Montreal. Um, to me, I didn't quite understand why they put Pajardo in the in the game on Thursday after Caleb Evans won the last two games. Yeah, they weren't a potassium, especially the last one. But in a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately-win-now business that football is, I'm a little bit surprised that they went back to Cody Pajardo Granted, he really didn't do anything to lose his job at the time of injury. But boy, oh boy, there's a lot of questions. And uh, yeah, you were talking about uh, Montreal. I mean, they're not getting good production from 
their quarterback in their losses. They're not getting overall good production from their team in their losses. And a good coach once told me, to be the best, you got to beat the best. Well, Montreal's record is hmm, not really flattering against the teams that we would consider to be in Tier 1 or Tier A uh, of the CFL. Uh, so I think, to be honest, Ryan, there's a whole lot of questions about about the East division as a whole. Um, now, not to kind of overreact, you know, to to a, to one sort of segment of games. I just have to wonder when, you know, you start to give Caleb Evans a look because it seemed like that offense had a real shot in the arm with him. And I don't know if it's that run-pass option, that threat that Caleb Evans has to run. Um, you know, and let's not forget, Ryan, Cody Pajardo and Jason Moss have been through this exercise you know, a, a year ago in, in Regina, and it didn't quite go well. Um, I'm just not sure. I'm just not sure what to do because I know that, you know, Cody Fajardo is, you know, Jason Moss's quote-unquote guy, but it didn't work in Saskatchewan. We're starting to see kind of the same kind of spiel here in Montreal. And I hate to pin this on Fajardo, but you need production from your quarterback. And Montreal, just plain and simple, didn't get it. Now, on the flip side, to play devil's advocate, you wonder if that was just Winnipeg being that good defensively or... If there was something to this, Cody Fajardo can't generate offense. And I'm wondering if that's in the middle. But based on Cody's track record, I could understand. And that's certainly where a lot of my questions about him and, by extension, Montreal come from. Now, we also have to remember with Montreal, too, right? This is a team that's been without, that entered the year basically without any of their starting receivers from last year, almost, whether it was due to injury or leaving in free agency. Um, and they've had some great players, you know, up-and-coming players uh, inject themselves in the lineup. I mean, Austin Max leading the CFL in receiving yards uh, last I checked. And, you know, Tyler Sneed's been a great addition. Uh, Julian Grant, before he got injured, he was there last year, but, you know, he's He's, he was a bright spot so far this season. So they're actually getting more production from the position than I thought they would coming into the year. I don't know about Caleb Evans or Fajardo. I see your argument. I see merit to it. I'm not sold on Evans that much as a passer yet. I mean, yeah, he turned around and had that great comeback two weeks ago, but also in that first half looked horrendous uh, before it. So it was a tale of two halves. You know, what are you going to get? I think he's a great rusher. I'm not sold on him as a passer. I think I would still consider Fajardo the better passer of the two. So I think he should still be the guy now. But if they continue to struggle, you know, maybe they do look in that, that other direction there. Um, and, I, and I have to wonder if it's an offensive line issue too at Montreal because he seems to be taking a lot of sacks again. Well, he did actually early in the season. He, get, he gave up a lot of sacks. 
And uh, in recent, I feel like, and I don't have the numbers right now, obviously, but I do feel like they got that a little bit more under control. Um, but certainly, you know, that's not going to help. And I think some of that is on Fajardo's play style, obviously, as well. Uh, you mentioned they play the BC Lions this week. I think they're another team that's there. We're starting to have question marks of, are they in this top tier still? I like to think they are. They have all the talent in the world on the roster, but it's now another week. And especially this week, who the heck had Hamilton dropping? What was it? 30 to what was the final score in this one? Was it like 30 to 10? Yeah, hang on, right? I had I, I, I to pull it up. It was quite significant uh, every time I looked. And the score was uh, 30 to 13. Okay, I was close. I was close. Um, so, you know, BC, that's a couple of games in a row where their defense has been, you know, giving up these 30-point games. And sure, the offense normally gets it done. A bit of a down game here in this one for uh va as well and it's still a decent day 15 fantasy points on the day for him that's decent but yeah the offense only being able to put up 13 points on the board against hamilton while the defense continues to struggle here i mean is bc and we'll loop the this topic about the bombers into this as well where you know winnipeg in their game against saskatchewan this week can clinch a playoff spot I have to wonder if they're going to start getting close here in the near future to clinching first place in the West Division because it kind of seems like BC's taken a bit of a step back and now they're kind of borderline on that level of are they a top team or not. And I think the, an even bigger question is now, do they open the door for Saskatchewan to potentially get a home playoff game? Uh, I, I don't think we're there mathematically yet. But I think BC's biggest problem, Ryan, they cannot get any kind of pass rush all of a sudden. That terrorizing pass rush that was causing all kinds of problems and all kinds of issues seems to be non-existent, at least in my experience, the last couple weeks. And, you know, to be honest, they haven't looked quite quite the same team uh, since... uh, since taking that loss in Winnipeg, they've lost uh, their second game and now their third game in a row. Um, it's just very interesting, but all of a sudden, now I'm not going to say it's all injury-related, because that wouldn't be fair, you know. There's teams on, people on offense and defense, but, you know, it's not quite, you know, on one unit's, you know, inability, but it just seems to be a calamity of issues all combining at once. And to me, Ryan, it's just that pass rush. It, it, that defense doesn't seem as as ferocious as, you know, taking away time and space as they once were. And, you know, every half second that a quarterback has to throw the ball, you know, leaves the back end of the D exposed. Uh, Vernon Adams all of a sudden is sort of regressing to, I guess, normal Vernon Adams or the Vernon Adams that I expected anyway. Um, to me, I felt he played the first six, six or so games way above his head. Um, 
and now he seems to be coming back to normal. And there's there's a lot of regression to sort of normal. Um, and unfortunately, it's leaving BC on the short end of a lot of football games lately. Yeah, and then you have to wonder, because I had them lower coming into the year. I think I had them finishing fourth in the West Division, and I was pleasant surprised early in the season, by the way, playing. I think that is a fair question is, you know, were they just playing above their level early in the season? And now we're going to probably find, you know, the, them landing somewhere in the middle of that down the rest of the stretch between what we've seen the past couple of weeks and then what we saw earlier in that too, right? So I think that's where I'm at on BC right now. I think they'll get it together here yet. And I still think they're a strong team. But their their chances at that first place in the in the West Division, where we all thought it was going to come down to that big game in October, but against the Bombers, and it still might. I have to wonder if that's going to start slipping away from them in the upcoming weeks. Now, on the the main reason you have to think on the other side of how Hamilton won this game is the James Butler revenge game against the Lions was a very real thing here. And I think we talked about this on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. You know, do, you know, do players actually, you know, circle games like the calendar? Do they get up for these games? Yeah, I think James Butler did a little bit because he had another monster performance, his best one of the season so far. Top fantasy performance of any running back all season long uh, in this game with over 30 points. And he still continues to be 99% of the, the Ticats offense. They got a passing touchdown week for the first time since Taylor Powell's first snap. And yeah, it went to running back James Butler. So my question to you, Mike, is should he be in consideration for the e- nominee? He should be, but I don't know if he didn't get it. I mean... If you look at the scenario of what was maybe the first month, everybody thought Chad Kelly was going to pull, was going to pull on Nathan Ward and literally run away with uh, it. But you know, Kelly, as I said earlier, has has kind of regressed a bit uh, the last three, four weeks throwing interceptions. Um, you know that that this. Discussion is very worthwhile and um, when you look at the overall body of work, and all of a sudden it seems like the firing of Tommy Condell, or I guess stepping aside, however you decide to word that, has brought the running game back into play. So, would I vote for him right now? Hmm. I'd have to sit down and think about it, but. The argument is certainly there, Ryan. Yeah, I'd probably give it to Kelly still. I think if we're talking most outstanding, it's probably Chad Kelly. If we're talking MVP, which isn't the award most valuable, I'd have to give it to Butler. But I think it's going to come down to those two would be my top East nominees uh, across the board for it. Mike, I know you got to run here a bit early right away. Uh, Any final things you want to say before wrapping your, your end of things up here? Uh, yeah, you know what? I, I'm listen. I'm just really excited about Labor Day weekend. Um, yeah, we may have lost Mike there. He was that. He's just that excited about Labor Day weekend. He wanted to head off and get it started already. Uh, and that's totally fair. No, I know Mike had to run. He had a, he had a tight out here uh, to end off the show a bit early. So 
Uh, we're going to let him go. We're going to end things off a little bit early here today. I think we got through most of the topics we wanted to get through uh, on the drive home call-in show here. So thanks for tuning in. Uh, those of you who joined us live, any comments and questions uh, that you sent in uh, along the way as well. Uh, and like I said off the top of this, make sure you tune in Wednesday night, 10.30 p.m. Eastern time. You won't want to miss it. The drama, the entertainment, as we preview Labor Day weekend, we talk about all of the chaos that's gone on in the uh, CFC Fantasy League this week. Uh, and we'll take a look at your betting, uh, pick, at the betting options and our picks there. We'll take a look at the fantasy picks and, of course, the storylines for the Labor Day matchups. So look forward to that. Of course, uh, join the Discord community if you haven't already via the link in the description. Lots of good stuff going on in there every single week. Game discussions, uh, fantasy discussions, uh, player prop bet discussions uh, when it comes to betting as well. And uh, NFL season starts shortly, so we're going to have some additional stuff going on there as well. Uh, especially if you're interested in NFL Fantasy League, get in the Discord community and get in there ASAP. Uh, and I think that's it. Follow us on social media at CF Countdown Pod there on Twitter or X on Facebook as well, facebook.com slash CF Countdown Pod. And uh, thanks for listening. On behalf of Mike and I, uh, we always appreciate that, as, long, as well as the rest of the crew. Thanks for listening. Take care. Have a good one. Bye.